Welcome back to another edition of the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, and this week I'm joined by former Alabama offensive lineman Mike Johnson. Mike was on the team from 2005 to 2009. He played such a pivotal role in the offensive line for the 2009 National Championship team. And we thought, since the 2009 team is being honored in Browning Stadium this weekend for Alabama's game against Arkansas, why not bring someone on from that team to chat about that year, chat about the current team, and just everything else going on in college football. So, here is my interview with Mike Johnson. Yeah, thank you so much again, Mike, for coming on coming on All Things Bama today, man. I really do appreciate it. First. Let's start with this. You were a part of uh, a pretty legendary Alabama team in 2009, and it's hard to believe that's already been 10 years, man. <laughs> I mean, I say that all the time. It's it really is crazy. Um, it makes me feel old, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm 32. Uh, and just talking to teammates, really uh, throughout the years, and especially throughout this uh, these last couple of weeks, and talking about the reunion coming up, it's. It's hard to believe, man. Everybody's been scattered. There's uh, there's been weddings. There's been kids. There's been uh, all of the above. So I can't wait to to get back in the building and and get to talk to different coaches and different uh, people around the building and, and old teammates, man. Because you just catch up and you never know uh, what these guys have been up to for the most part. I know in the age of social media, you can usually follow along with somebody, but I don't do a ton of social media or Facebook or anything like that. So getting to catch up with some of the old teammates and just um, see what's been going on with them for the last 10 years would be good. Yeah. And, and Mike, really, you know, you were, you were, you were so important to that Alabama team and really just, you know, the teams that Nick Saban was building in you know the early years of this dynasty that we've seen for the last decade. And so I want to ask you first, what was it? Because you, you got there in 2006. So what was it like kind of just a little bit before he got there? Yeah, so I was recruited uh, under Mike Shula and uh, redshirted actually in the 2005 season when uh, we went 10-2 and two and had pretty good defense and Joe Kynes was around and D'Amico Ryan and Omar Harper and guys like that. Um, and, you know, listen, I, I think everybody knew that Alabama wasn't what Alabama was used to being. Um, you know, the scholarships were down. We were kind of being dinged by that. I think we felt like we had some good pieces in place. Uh, but there was just there was something missing. Uh, there was a lack of of buy-in. I feel like there was a lack of people being held accountable um, just for different things. I mean, missed workouts and and you know the list goes on of things that I felt like we were having problems with. And um, I love my shoe to death. I mean, every time I've gotten a chance to talk to him uh, throughout our time in the NFL together, and uh, when he's with Carolina, I'd always talk to him about the team and about how things panned out. But Bottom line is, um, when Coach Saban was hired, there was definitely a sense of, oh, you know, this this is what college football is supposed to be. This I'm, I'm supposed to be held to this standard. I'm supposed to be, you know, working this hard. I'm supposed to be doing this in the weight room with Scott Cochran. And um, there was a sense of, man, we're going to get this right. We're going to get it back to where it should be. And um, and obviously, we had a chance to do that in 2009 after adding some incredible coaches and some incredible teammates, and uh, you know, just making sure that that we were working as hard as we needed to be. But it definitely um, there was a complete U-turn uh, in the sense around that program just uh, from the time that I got there to the time I left. It was uh, a complete 180 just in terms of just accountability, I think. And then, you know, when Saban got on the scene in 2007, uh, I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't the greatest year, but you kind of, you know, you felt that 
because 2007 got off to a good start, you kind of felt like you're right. It was turning around, and then you had you know the perfect regular season in 2008. When did you when did you and the team in, in those years really feel like you guys were turning the corner? Well, I played um, right tackle in 2007. Uh, I was I was a little bit undersized, especially nowadays for Alabama linemen. I was about you know six five, about about 290, I think, when I was a starting right tackle, which is, is small among SEC standards nowadays. And, you know, I, th- I think we started to get a sense of accountability in 2007, but I don't think we had the sense of toughness that we would later develop. You know, I think I think by the time 2008 rolled around, we were a lot tougher, mentally tougher of a football team, saying, you know what, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it takes, it doesn't matter what the situation is, it doesn't matter where we're at, we're going to do the things necessary and, and make sure we have the mental discipline to get it done. And, you know, I can remember distinctly, um, you know, throughout spring of 2007, uh, you know, Coach Saban, uh, Coach Pendry, who's the offensive line coach, approaches me and he says, hey, you know what, we really feel like you would be uh, a heck of a left guard uh, moving over to the left guard spot. And getting a chance to play between Antoine Caldwell, uh, who was an All-American himself, and uh, Andre Smith, who obviously was out in trophy winner, um, incredible. You know, I, I jumped at the opportunity to play between those guys because I knew that we could kind of, you know, bring along the offense and establish that toughness and establish that downhill run game, which we did uh, throughout 2008. And obviously, a uh, number of talents come along. You know, Glenn Coffey uh, had a good year in 08, and obviously Mark Ingram playing behind him, and then Trent later thereafter. But I really felt like once that transition happened, where I moved over from right side to left guard, and we, we just really started that tough downhill running game, um, that's when things started to change for us. We, we became a team that could pick up yards when we needed to. We didn't, you know, we, it always cracks me up nowadays when, you know, you count box numbers and you have RPOs, man, it didn't, it didn't really matter for us. We were going to go um, north and south and pick up what we needed to. And um, I, I think for a lot of reasons, uh, I think the entire team, the entire offense uh, picked up that attitude. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons we have you on, you know, is you guys are getting honored, 2019 is getting honored uh, in Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday against Arkansas. And let's just, let's just talk about that season for a second. So you have, you know, the Sugar Bowl loss to end the 2008 season against Utah, and then you're coming into 09. What do, what do you remember coming into that season that you guys thought would make it so special? Uh, you know, I, I I was in such an interesting spot. Uh, like I said, I had switched over to the left side of the line uh, to play between Antoine and Andre. And I think, you know, anytime you're in a program, specifically when you've been redshirted and you don't play right away, and, I was kind of one of those guys on my way up that you, you you spend the as soon as the bowl game's over you start saying okay who are our juniors you know, who's who's going to be our leaders next year which guys are going to be able to lean on and step up and the spots that we're missing you know who who's stepping up into those spots and I distinctly remember after the Sugar Bowl was over thinking to myself I I don't know who's going to play left tackle next to me um, and I had played left tackle for a handful of snaps in the Sugar Bowl and then I got hurt and Drew Davis had to play a little left tackle so it was kind of a smorgasbord of we really don't have that much depth at tackle uh, at that time. So I distinctly remember and looking around going, oh, you know, who's going to be that next guy to kind of take the bull by the horns and thinking, uh, <laughs> it's, I guess it's going to be me. <laughs> I guess I'm that guy this year. I guess it's supposed to be me. I'm, I'm one of only two returning starters on the offensive line at that point. Um, you know, Glenn Coffey had left. Uh, John Parker was gone. Um, you know, you'd name it. We went open down the roster. Guys that were out of there, man, good players. And so I was kind of like, you know, I guess it's going to be me. And so um, I helped out with recruiting as much as I could. I distinctly remember, you know, trying to meet DJ Fluker. Uh, I think they were at Chuck's Fish one night. And I, 
I go up and I'm trying to meet DJ Fluger. I'm like, man, we need you to come in and play. Uh, you know, he's a guy that can play left tackle. And then uh, we got pretty lucky, uh, not lucky, I guess, but got James Carpenter in the fold, who was a JUCO transfer at the time, and really excited about him. And I thought to myself, between between those two guys, they're pretty talented. One of them can play left tackle next to me. And uh, we bring William Vallejos along as a center, and Barrett Jones was a smart guy at right guard. And we knew that Mark was a good running back. And uh, we knew Greg was a very cerebral quarterback. So pieces just just started falling into place, and uh, we went back uh, to working really hard. And uh, those guys came in and worked really hard and ended up being pretty successful. And then you mentioned him earlier, but Mark Ingram, what was it like blocking for a Heisman Trophy winner? It's one of those things that I don't know that I even understood um, until many, many years. Uh, you know, I guess if, it's, if I've been out of school 10 years now, it probably took me probably seven to really realize just how incredible that is. Um, and, you know, I, 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 watching his ceremony, I got choked up. And that's, you know, that's just because at that point, we, we weren't a team that really looked at accomplishments. You had, we had taken on Coach Saban's personality of, well, you know, it's just another game. Well, after we beat Florida, we realized we were 13-0 and and we're headed to Pasadena to play. And then, you know, everybody's kind of we're, – we're in bowl practice. We're getting ready for a national championship. We feel like we're on top of the world. And then just to cap it off, Mark Ingram, a week after the SEC title game, uh, is up in New York getting voted as the Heisman. Just to see him on that stage and to see him talk about being Alabama's first Heisman winner. You know, to, he thanked his offensive line at one point. Coach Saban's there. And, the the moment kind of gets you, um, but I really I swear I think it's been till probably three or four years ago, until after my NFL career was over. So I start looking around, going, boy, oh boy. I mean, that was uh, he's on the Heisman House commercials. You know, I blocked for that guy. <laughs> I helped that guy along the way at some point. And, uh, he was honestly, man, he's such an incredible teammate. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting a chance to catch up with him this coming weekend because such a good guy, such a humble kid, came and worked his butt off, and really was one of those guys that really turned that program around. Yeah, and I, what I remember, one, one performance in particular I remember from that 2009 season, you're talking about that was when Alabama was running the ball in north to south, which which now the current Alabama team isn't, you know, isn't your father's Alabama team. But <laughs> when, when when you guys were running the football, man, I remember the South Carolina game. And it was the middle of October, it was a chilly night, and he had about like, he had close to 30 carries for like 250 yards. And I just like, I, I think that was maybe his best performance um, all in, in a game all season, but yeah, I just remember moments like that where where Alabama, you guys were just d- destroying and just dominating the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun for us because there wasn't, you know, and and, and we knew exactly what was going to be asked of us. Um, and, and when you have a guy that's as shifty and as quick and as good as Mark is behind you, I mean, really things start clicking. You start understanding each other and you get a ton of reps. And uh, in a Nick Saban practice, you really move at full speed with those reps. So, you start to develop um, kind of that chemistry. But, yeah, I mean, against South Carolina, you know, not only did he have a ton of yards, but he was the Wildcat quarterback. It wasn't like, you know, he wasn't even getting handed it off to most of the time. I mean, he's a Wildcat quarterback for a lot of that game. And I tell people all the time, I, I think really that game was kind of a, a microcosm of that entire season. Um, you know, I think Mark Barron had a pick six very early in the game, which uh, our defense became known for that year. Um, I think, obviously, Mark having a ton of yards, which he did throughout the season, and really being a leader offensively and um, doing just enough, uh, you know, really throughout the year. I mean, you look at Alabama nowadays, you're scoring 60 points. If you're not putting 50 on the board, it's, it's you know, it's a problem. But we were winning games. I think we beat Kentucky by seven, beat, uh, you know, South Carolina by 
a couple scores. I mean, we weren't blowing people out of the water, but we were playing a Bama brand of football. And I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of looking back on the 09 season is we weren't flashy, but we were we were hard workers and we were tough, and that's what carried us the distance. Yeah, and, and you mentioned I got I got to ask that year, you guys played in some really really close games. I mean, I think of just I mean, you know, last year. Oh, excuse me. Last week we were remembering the Rocky Block game against mm-hmm. Tennessee. We were remembering, uh, you know, and next month we'll remember the 10-year anniversary of the drive. And you also throw in the LSU game in that season too. That was close. The Julio, you know, took like an 80-yard screen pass to the house. What was it, I mean? What was kind of like the tension like, you know, in, in in some of those big rivalry games that really came down to the wire. Well, it was an attention to detail, and, and I, I always use the word like I did earlier, accountability. Um, you know, we weren't a team that – I don't know the best way to say it. We weren't always offensively going to be able to beat you, but we were very good at not beating ourselves um, as a football team. We didn't beat ourselves. We played, um, you know, a Nick Saban style of football where you played into your defense's hands. Our defense was so incredibly good. I mean, you go look at the freaking names across that defense, a lot of them are still playing. I mean, Marcel Darius and Dante Hightower – Rolando was such an incredible leader. I mean, Kareem Jackson, Javier Arenas, uh, you know, Mark Barron. Just go down the list. I mean, it's pretty incredible the names are over there. So, yeah, playing into the defense's hands um, and, and just not beating ourselves offensively. I mean, that Tennessee game came down uh, to the wire because Mark fumbled the ball. Well, that was, that was very uncharacteristic for Mark Ingram. I mean, he did not fumble football. Neither did Trent Richardson for the most part. And so, uh, we, we had a smart quarterback in Greg who didn't put us in bad situations. and uh, We were able to put drives together, uh, timely drives. And just like the Auburn game, just like the LSU game, you put timely drives together and you uh, you know put your foot, foot down in the fourth quarter, you hold yourself accountable, and you just kind of out-tough the other team. Um, it was a recipe for success for us. I mean, like I said, we didn't, for the most part, blow teams out of the water. Uh, but, you know, we just out-toughed them uh, for the most part that year. And I want to ask about this game. Because in 08, you know, Florida got the best of y'all in the SC Championship game. And then in 09, you guys really put a beat down on them, really dominated that game. What what was that moment like for you to be on top of the SEC and, you know, having to having to beat number one Florida and doing it? It's, it's, it's honestly um, – it's hard to put into words, man, looking back on it. Because you got to understand, I mean, I get into school in 05, which was – and I'm from Florida – um, you know, Ron Zook had been fired. Ron Zook had recruited me a little bit. Um, he had been fired there. Urban Meyer. Uh, I mean, you talk about things coming full circle. Urban Meyer. We played Urban Meyer in '05 at uh, the Florida Gators. We beat him really handily, which went on to be known as a game where uh, Tyrone breaks his leg. Uh, but we beat them really handily that week. Well, you know, you fast forward a year. They've got Tim Tebow. They've got obviously Chris Leak was back. They won a national championship. '07. You know, pretty good football team. Tebow wins the Heisman. 08, they beat us and won a national championship. So you go all the way through my my college career, it had been building up to that moment. I mean, it really, for me personally, and for a lot of the seniors and upperclassmen, you built for that moment. I mean, everything you had done throughout your entire career was for that moment. I mean, it was for the game against the dynasty that was Florida. It was the reigning national champs. And it was, they were everything we wanted to be um and everything that Nick Saban wanted to build our program into and that was our opportunity to snatch it from them to end their dynasty and to start ours uh and the fact that we're able to come out and play I don't want to say a flawless game but we had to play near flawless to be able to beat a team like that the way we did and and that's what that was what was on the field I mean we had we looked like a team that had prepared 
our entire lives for that game because we had. I mean, that was the nature of the beast. And so, um, yeah, I still get chills talking about it. It's still pretty unbelievable to me that as good as that Urban Meyer and Tebow and Florida run was, um, you know, right there at the end, we were able to get the best of them and really reverse the course of, of SEC history, in my opinion. And, and before we wrap up just our conversation on the 09 team and then we get into the current team, just also, obviously, how, how can you not talk about the game against Texas? Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about it, if Colt didn't get hurt, you know, what would happen. But, I mean, really, I mean, the second half, you know, they, they were kind of making a comeback within the defense. And, you know, the offense, like you said, made some key drives. Um, just just talk about playing in the Rose Bowl, playing in a big moment like that, and just, you know, representing Alabama and winning the first championship since 1992. Yeah, I mean, obviously incredible. Um, you know, I always, I always hear the stuff about Colt and, my response usually is if, if uh, the Big 12 officials hadn't rewound that clock in the Big 12 championship game and put one second back for Texas to kick the field goal, they wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't have been there anyway. So it would have been uh, we'd have probably been playing a, a TCU team that was not even a you know a power power five team at the time. So um, you know Texas fans always say that. I'm always like y'all were really lucky to be there <laughs> from the get go. You should have lost to Nebraska in the Big 12 championship uh, when Colt threw the ball out of bounds, but. You know, listen, man, injuries happen. Um, we were lucky and fortunate, I think, that uh, Colt got injured that day. But I, I don't I don't think you can take that one snippet of that one quarter that Colt played in or quarter and a half and say, oh, that's how the entire game would have been. You know, I think that we were a good enough team to to bounce back and kind of come off the ropes and, 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 and be able to put some stuff together. So offensively, we ended up getting rolling just enough when we scored some rushing touchdowns. And our defense did a good job of, uh, you know, creating turnovers and, and putting the ball in our hands. So. It just, uh, you know, like I said, that everything kind of came together. I mean, even when I go back and uh, I saw the game probably a couple of years ago, somebody showed me a video of it. And, um, you could just tell that we were probably too relaxed going into it. I mean, even as captains going out to coin toss, they're all, you know, their their helmets are buckled. They're kind of arm in arm walking out to, to midfield for the coin toss. And I think myself and Rolando and Javi are just, I look like I, I, look like I haven't shaved in a month since the Florida game. <laughs> we're just out there kind of holding our helmets like okay yeah just another game here but um obviously one of the biggest games of our lives so we got uh we got fortunate to be in the position we were in and and you know capitalized on it when we when we could and, and, and brought that national title back to tuscaloosa who during your time at alabama mike who was like in practice who was like the hardest hitter like when you, you, you were trying to block who was the hardest guy to block in practice during your time at the capstone um Good question. Um, Rolando McLean was such a cerebral football player that he knew how to attack certain guys. He knew how to attack me. He knew almost what play we were running before we ran it. I mean, he you know he had caught up against these Jim McElwain offenses so much that he could, uh, you know, he's one of those guys. But I'm actually going to go off the wall for my answer because he was in my Steiner class and came all the way up with me. And every time I changed positions, he changed positions. And it was a guy named Brandon Dederick. Um, who you know is one of the lesser-known names from that defense that year. He spent a number of years with the Patriots, I believe. But, um, boy, you want to talk about hard-headed, hard-hitter. I mean, just a guy that had all the right moves, man, a guy that could do it well. And um, he was from Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and we signed on the dotted line at the same time back in 05 and made our way all the way up through the ranks as, as Mike Shula guys. And um, just uh, he made me better, and I hope I made him better. And, and that's that's the answer I usually give uh, talking about defensive players. He wasn't one of the bigger names. He's not still playing in the NFL, but 
competitor uh, is the word I'd give him, and we went at it a number of times in practice. And then after the 2009 season, you get drafted. What was that? What was that moment like for you, man? Oh, I mean, you you you, you talk about going to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and you know, it's it. I tell a lot of people, especially out there fans, John Parker Wilson was actually the first phone call I got after I got off the phone with uh, Thomas Dimitrov and Arthur Blank from the Falcons. I mean, the first phone call I got was John Parker Wilson, uh, just because he was a good buddy of mine and an old teammate, and he was in Atlanta at the time, and it was incredible. I mean, you could have, I could have been drafted anywhere. Could have been out in San Diego or in Denver or in Seattle, but um, you know, I got a chance to stay in the Southeast and. Uh, you know, I still live in Atlanta, um, and that tells you how much I love this town and love being a part of that franchise. I, I always tell people I'm Florida born and and, and Bama bred, but when I die, I'll be Georgia dead. And uh, that's that, that's that's really how I felt, man. Going to the Atlanta Falcons, getting a chance to match up uh, and and play next to guys like Tony Gonzalez. I mean, I, I still remember the first time I got down uh, on the offensive line and uh, Tony was in a three point stance next to me. I mean, you talk about a surreal moment. I mean, that's a guy that. Uh, I've been watching plays since I was 10, uh, and, you know, obviously he's in the Hall of Fame now. And Then, uh, you know, going through the process, Julio getting drafted to Atlanta, and just being amongst some, some really good football teams. They won a lot of games in my five years with the Falcons, and uh, really proud of, of what we got accomplished. I wish I wish things had turned out differently um, as far as you know, my career goes with the injuries and, and, and some of the stuff that I had going on, but um, just really proud of, of what was put together, and it really was really was an incredible experience. Now let's let's transition to talking about the current team. You know, first I got to start with this much. I, you know, two of you know Alabama survived Tennessee, but what what do you think the level of concern should be? You know, for Alabama fans uh, about to his ankle. I, I don't feel like I'm as concerned as most fans are, and, and it's for one reason. I, I feel like Alabama is at its best, at its most unstoppable when it is shortening the game and when it's playing into the hands of its its run game. Um, so I think last week when Tennessee, obviously when Tua left uh, and Matt Jones comes in, you see Najee Harris in that offensive line really start to take over. And that's when I get excited. You know, I, I, I mentioned earlier that that just was a box counts and RPOs weren't a thing when we were in school. Now, I don't fault them for doing that. I don't think most people do, but I, I really – I kind of chuckled at the Jeremy Pruitt comment from last week because, you know, Jeremy Pruitt was a guy that obviously I've seen rise through the ranks and was coming out of Hoover High School back when I was in school. And he made the comment, you know, it's they're really pass-oriented now. And he said, I don't know how many championships that's won them, uh, but, you know, it's it's a lot different than it was, you know, a few years back. And I just – I chuckled to myself because I think that all the time. And I, I'm a huge fan of, of what they do now. And I, I love the fact that they're able to score a ton of points. And I think they have to at this day and age. But I'm also a huge proponent of a blue-collar, run-game-oriented football team. And so um, I, I think that's one way to go about it. You shorten the game, don't let the other offense on the field, and, uh, you know, put it in the hands of your offensive line. It's the best way to do it. You know, keep keep turnovers at a minimum. So I think that given the talent at wide receiver and given the talent at running back on the offensive line, I think Mac Jones will be fine uh, no matter the situation he's put in. And I know enough about Steve Sarkeesian to know that um, he'll put Mac in uh, some, some situations where he can succeed. And, uh, you know, listen, everybody's got to rise to the challenge whenever the, in my opinion, best player in the country goes out. And, and that's what they're up against right now. And you mentioned the running game. You mentioned Najee. You mentioned the offensive line. Just as, as a former offensive lineman, what do you see from this offensive line? You know, they're starting to click. What makes them so good? I mean, you got guys like Landon Dickerson, 
uh, let's see, Evan Neal, Leatherwood. You know, what, what do you see from this group of guys? Well, I think it's just it's, it's willingness to compete. Uh, listen, I'm a high school offensive line coach now, so I use terms like that all the time. People say willingness to compete. People are like, what are you talking about? But uh, they don't back down. Uh, and I think that's an attitude that Landon Dickerson has brought with him. Um, I, I think, you know, Coach Saban actually mentioned it in training camp that he hopes some of the other players pay attention to Landon Dickerson because Landon is a guy that come over from Florida State for a program that does not have a success. Uh, and he kind of gets a second life and a second attempt uh, at making a run and, and really, you know, establishing some of his goals. And I think having him around has made some of these other guys understand that, you know, that, that Alabama stuff, that does not happen overnight. You know, you need to make sure you capitalize on the situation you're in. So I think that offensive line started to take on his personality. They started to become bullies. They started to become tough. And they have the size and athleticism to be absolutely legendary. Um Deontay Brown coming back in, I think his his ability to get movement up front is huge. Um, but I, I think they are a group that's starting to come together, and I like what I see from them so far. But, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that's week in and week out. And hopefully they just continue to uh, to improve, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, some of those guys, Deontay Brown, Evan Neal, start to understand the game uh, at a higher level and understand the concepts, and I think they'll continue to gel. We, we know the LSU game is looming here in a, in a, in a few weeks. But, Mike, tell me a team outside of the SEC that Alabama – and obviously they're not worried about anybody, but who who, who would who, who do you think scares Alabama the most outside of the SEC? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, before last week uh, – they lost last week, but before last week I would have said Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin to me was everything that, that we were back when I was in school, before last week anyway. I mean, you got a, you got a the Heisman – favorite running back and you got an offensive line that was road graders and you have a defense that had pitched, I think four shutouts before last week against Illinois, uh, just come up a little bit short against Illinois. I mean, so that was, to me, I looked at them and thought, man, if they can shorten the game, keep our offense on the field and, and play good defense when they're out there, they'll, they'll be a tough one to beat. But, um, I think obviously you look at Oklahoma and the situation with Jalen, I mean, he knows what it takes to beat an Alabama defense. He knows what it takes to beat a team like that. And, um, I look at some of the struggles we've had at the second level defensively at the linebacking core, and I think, man, Jalen's a guy that could really take advantage of that. Um, so I think there's a couple of them out there. I mean, you can never discount Ohio State. Uh, but, uh, you know, to me, um, I think there's a reason Alabama's number one right now because I think that they're probably the most well-rounded team, especially when you add in special teams that they've kind of gotten a lot better at here in the last couple of weeks and uh, hopefully will continue to. So, um, I think it's going to be a matchup-based situation. I mean, you know, who, who do you have at quarterback when you play some of those big games? Hopefully, Tua Tagovailoa. But um, any of those teams can jump up and get you if you're not focused on what you need to do. So hopefully, they just continue to play week by week and get through the end of schedule. Yeah, I, to me, it's Ohio State. Justin Fields, uh, he's he's taken off, and I didn't expect Ryan Day to have so much success in, in year one. You know, outside of Urban Meyer without him. But, I mean, they've got a guy on the defensive line, Chase Young, who seems to be an absolute beast. So, I mean, I, I think I think Alabama fans, outside of outside of LSU, I think Ohio State, I mean, is a very potent threat. I I, I agree with you. Um, one of the things that, that I maybe I'm not giving Justin Fields enough credit, listen, I, I just told you I coach football in Cobb County, Georgia, which is where he's from. Um, I think one of the things that I guess I just need to see from him is, can he diagnose the coverages he will see against Alabama? Um, can can he can he you know is he a one read kind of guy? Is he just throwing the open guy because they're more talented than a lot of the defenses they're playing, or is he a guy that can go okay that guy's that guy's not open? The blitz is coming from the left. My offensive line hasn't been picked up on the right. 
uh, I need to go hot here. I mean, I, I think that's what Nick Saban does to a lot of young quarterbacks. Um, now obviously, that didn't work last year against Trevor Lawrence. He did you know, a pretty good job of, of cerebrally picking up and taking apart that defense. But uh, a lot of the times I'll err on the side of that Nick Saban defense and say, hey, these quarterbacks have to prove it to me before I'll believe it. So maybe that's why you know, I kind of lean towards Jalen Hurts because he knows exactly what he's going to be seeing. Yeah, I want to go back to, to the SEC. You know, I know Alabama's got Arkansas. Like you said, you don't want to look over. You don't want to look over Arkansas. But, but let me ask you this though. So you know, Alabama, they you know a lot. They get maybe not national hate, but you know they get they get kind of ragged on at times. And Greg Byrne has done a phenomenal job scheduling home and homes for the future and preparing Alabama and Nick Saban. You know, for for in the fans too for some awesome experiences down the line. But when you when you have you know a team like Arkansas coming into Tuscaloosa this weekend, you know who who is who is over, you know, they're overmatched. They're going to be overpowered. You know, what's kind of the mindset for, you know, guys on the team to not, to not overlook them? I think you have to challenge yourself. Um, it's, you know, Nick Saban says it all the time. It's about playing to a standard. Um, and I think people say, oh, you know, playing to a standard for Alabama is, you know, beating a team by, by 30. Well, it's, it's not always that it, it's individually to my, to me is always playing to a standard. If I'm not, you know, completely dominating in pass protection. If I'm not getting, you know, this amount of pancake blocks or if I'm not communicating well up front, then I'm not playing to my standard. I don't want to just look at the score and say, oh, we ran back a punt. They were overmatched on the punt team. Uh, we had a pick six or quarterback fumbled in the end zone. We took it back 100 yards. It's about playing to a standard. Can you play to your own standard individually and help the team play up to their standard and, and just play error-free football uh, not beat yourself, not commit turnovers, not commit penalties. And um, that's what I think you have to do. I think you have to challenge yourself in that way or, or you'll have those letdowns. And, and, you know, I saw a number of them firsthand while I was in school. And, um, you know, I think that that's the challenge is a lot of these guys haven't. You know, when I was a senior and we're going undefeated, you can look at it and say, hey, guys, I've been a part of these letdown games. I've lost to Louisiana Monroe. I know it can happen. Um, these guys haven't seen that a lot. And Coach Saban's done a good job. Um, but you know what? There's not a lot of guys in that roster that can that can point to games like that and know what that's like. So I think you just have to challenge yourself. Yeah, but with, with the LSU game looming, you know, I know you – we talked about it earlier. You're on CBS 42. You do a little pregame and postgame coverage. And so you watch a lot of SEC football, obviously. What, what are some things that you think, like, that they do really well that's going to, you know, going to make Alabama you – know, it's going to challenge them? Well, I think first and foremost um, – they, they've passed protected better this year than they have in years past. They, it's obvious they understand protections, and I think that now defenses are starting to look at them and realize the talent they have out wide is actually part of their game plan. Now, you know, for so many years it was they, – they might have a ton of talent at receiver, but they can't challenge us out wide. Um, and now even coordinators are looking at it saying, okay, we can't just keep blitzing. We can't keep trying to get in the face of the quarterback. We have to actually, you know, drop seven, drop eight, uh, you know, into in coverage. So – can we get protection? Uh, can we get? Uh, I'm sorry, pressure on LSU's quarterback Joe Burrow? I, I think it's a huge question mark. Um, I, I think at times guys like Terrell Lewis and Alfred James have looked dominant. Uh, Raekwon being one of those guys too. But I think at other times, you know, when we've needed plays, uh, you know, on the defensive line, that, that sometimes they haven't been there like they have in years past, where you could point to a Quinn and Williams or a Jonathan Allen. Um, so, so can we get? Penetration into the backfield. Can we stuff their running game uh, when they use it to complement their pass game? Um, but you know, I look at offensively and some of the things we've been able to do. Um, can we block? You know, Lawrence. Can we block Braden Fajoko? Um, is Clavon Chason going to be a guy that you know capitalizes on on you know an away game and uh, you know really plays his best? 
So I, I think, you know, obviously giving Tua time by a little bit in the backfield, you feel good about your opportunities to pick them apart. But I think it's going to start with the pass rush on both sides. And, and you know, how many times can you make Joe Burrow or Tua Tagovailoa uh, second-guess themselves and go to their second, third reads? And I think that will be uh, what decides that game. I don't know what the over-under is going to be on Alabama LSU, but, I, but I'm assuming probably somewhere maybe low 60s, mid-60s. Probably the highest it's ever been. I, would, I mean, it's probably going to be way more than it's ever been before. Yeah, what I mean, it, you know, you played in some really tough physical games that like we talked about earlier with LSU. I mean, you know, looking like 10 years down the line, I mean, things have just completely changed. What if I would have told you, hey, man, Alabama LSU, they're going to be scoring 40 points each? Oh, man, I don't know if I would have thought it was a good thing or bad thing. If you'd have told me that a few years back, it just – it's a different brand. Um, and it's its not something that it, – it, it, you know, football is just so different. The rules are different. The people watching are different. Society as a whole is different. Um, it's its not something that is the football game, the college football game that I know and loved. Um, but it's still a beautiful game and still, you know, awesome to watch. Um but, you know, I look back at some of the bruising matchups we had. I mean, you know, guys like Al Woods, uh, who was a defense lineman for them, and even Glenn Dorsey going back to my sophomore year. Um, just the incredible trench matchups that you have had throughout that series. I mean, you talk about um, even after I left Alabama, I mean, I look at a guy like Ryan Kelly or, or you know, Barrett Jones and, and some of the guys, you know, Cam Robinson. That, those games, Chance Warmack, I mean, those games were defined by offensive lines and running games. and and defensive lines and uh to see it the way it is I, i'll be honest with you it's a little bit off-putting to me uh it doesn't feel like the same lsu alabama matchup uh that we're used to i mean it used to be like watching iowa and wisconsin go at it but uh, you know it's it's different and i think i think fans are enjoying it and alabama continues to be successful for the most part so and mike you mentioned you you're coaching offensive line now for for a school in cobb county well, how's the season going for you guys uh, we're in a kind of a rebuilding phase, to be quite honest with you. Um, we're, we're trying to rebuild from the ground up. This is my first year as a as an uh, as a high school coach and as an offensive line coach, so it's been a learning experience for me. But um, we've got a group of really good kids, um, you know, that I'm excited about, and and you know, kind of getting to work with these guys and molding uh, this group from the ground up, much the way Coach Saban did back in '07. Uh, just trying to get um, you know that that toughness to to come in and you know, be a part of a, a game-changing mentality has been a lot of fun for me. Well, great, man. It seems like you're giving back. And thank you again for coming on, man. I, I really do appreciate it. You guys can follow Mike on Twitter at, at MPJohnson79. Like I said, you can also watch him on Saturday afternoons on CBS 42. Thank you again, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, man. Roll Tide. And that was my interview with former UA offensive lineman Mike Johnson. Just want to throw this in there as well. From 1.30 to 2.30 this Saturday afternoon before the Arkansas game, Mike will be signing autographs on campus there at the museum. So if you're making your way down here to Tuscaloosa, why don't you stop by before the game, say hello to Mike, get his autograph, tell him you listen to him on the podcast. I know he'll appreciate that, and so will I. And so for Mike Johnson, Tyler Martin, this has been the All Things Bama Podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com.